This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, welcome to the Red Box Podcast with me, Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Thanks to uh, all of you who got in touch, particularly about the David Cameron interview last week. It's been one of our best performing episodes of the year, albeit um, lots of you getting in touch to complain about him. Um, I personally didn't call the referendum, but thank you for getting in touch uh, with me. Anyway, do um, post a review, especially on iTunes, if you like the podcast, because uh, that helps with the podcast charts and that sort of thing. Uh, right then, on today's show, there was obviously lots of talk about coronavirus, and the press conference and and all of that. And we wait to see what um, the Prime Minister actually announces in terms of what's going to happen on coronavirus. Uh, but we thought um, on today's episode of the podcast, slightly more interesting, probably something we don't talk about enough, is what is going on in Ireland. Uh, and in particular, the big question of Irish reunification, the impact of Brexit... Uh, and what is happening uh, politically over there. So I've been speaking to Mary Lou MacDonald, the leader of Sinn Féin, about Brexit... Boris Johnson, and how it felt as a Republican to get a get well message from Prince Charles. The Internal Markets Bill is back in the House of Commons today. Uh, the government actually reached a deal with rebellious Conservative MPs last week, which means they'll get a vote on whether or not the controversial elements of the bill which breach international law will actually be used. But of course, the Brexit negotiations are having a cr- uh, an impact a- uh, across the UK and beyond, especially in Ireland. Uh, well, in a moment, you'll uh, be able to hear an interview uh, that I've done with Mary Lou MacDonald, uh, leader of, the, of Sinn Féin. But first of all, uh, let's catch up with Stephen O'Brien, political editor of the Sunday Times Ireland. Morning, Stephen. Good morning, Matt. I mean, the, 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 obviously the implications for uh, Brexit in Ireland are uh, huge. How's it all playing out politically? I mean, to what extent, and obviously everyone's sort of minds very much on coronavirus first and foremost, to, to what extent is the goings-on in Westminster being closely monitored in Dublin? They are being very closely monitored indeed. The uh, internal market bill has got a very chilly reception uh, right across the Irish uh, political political spectrum in, in the Republic. Well, certainly in the Republic, uh, it's got a fairly chilly reception in Northern Ireland as well, although uh, the DUP and the Ulster Unionists uh, uh, position on it is different. Um, but no, the, the Irish government has um, you know, sounded very uh, grave warnings about the impact it could have 
um, on the Good Friday Agreement and on the uh, nor- the Irish Protocol to the Withdrawal Agreement. Uh, and I think that, you know business here uh, had gone through a number of phases of preparation for a potential no deal Brexit. But I think that pr- the prospect of a no deal Brexit is be t- being taken more seriously now in uh, Ireland, North and South than at any point in the Brexit discussions heretofore. Uh, so there's, the, the bill has, uh, the internal market bill has raised real concern. Uh, the Irish government, though, is satisfied or, or, or happy, if you like, with the uh, unanimity of response across the European Union. And in fact, uh, in some of the, um, the, the these uh, the committee meetings that Michael Gove was involved with uh, the uh, Commissioner Dombrovskis um, to discuss the implementation of the withdrawal agreement, the attendance at those has the, the, these virtual meetings online has gone uh, through the roof uh, and now <laughs> all 27 EU members are sending senior diplomats to attend these virtual meetings whereas heretofore it, it, it was as low as half a dozen countries um, keeping an eye on those Keep proceedings. On. Exactly right. Just before then we hear uh, the interview with Mary Lou McDonald. lots of people listening to this will think Sinn Féin, Jerry Adams and obviously the IRA. Explain what's happened with Sinn Féin. They've They've gone from being maybe more on the fringes of Irish politics to now, you know, they won the popular vote in the general election this year. Obviously, the coalition was then formed with uh, three of their uh, opponents, so they are not in government. But they they hold a lot of sway as the official opposition now? Absolutely. They, they, they won the popular vote, as Mary Lou MacDonald never tires of reminding <laughs> uh, the Taoiseach and the, uh, the, the Deputy Prime Minister, uh, Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar. Uh, 535,000 votes, 24.5%. So they, they, they went from 23 seats uh, in 2016 to 37 seats uh, in, uh, in 2020. We had a, basically a three-way tie, a photo finish, Fianna Fáil on 38, Fein 37, Fine Gael 35, forcing Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael to do something they had never done in their history, which was to go into government together. They were the old bitter rivals, but Sinn Féin now is the new kid on the block, and, and uh, uh, you know both of those parties fought the general election uh, for swearing any political pact with Sinn Féin, uh, and the, the outcome was as it was. So uh, Mary Lou Macdonald now leads the opposition uh, in the uh, Aaron and uh, she has uh, the, the biggest vote the party has ever achieved. She has she's you know broken through. Sinn Féin has begun to break into uh, some of the middle class vote that it in, in Ireland that it has struggled for uh, you know the last couple of decades to, to win over. Um, you know I guess the as as the peace process uh, beds down and as the uh, violence uh, re- recedes, the, the the days of the troubles in Northern Ireland recede into the past. A lot of people under the age of 40, voters under the age of 40 in the Republic of Ireland have no real memory of, of the IRA and its uh, link with Sinn Féin. Yeah, um, of course. And uh, Mary Lou Macdonald, of course, uh, even though she said in a very recent interview that if she were born in Northern Ireland uh, and if she lived in Northern Ireland during the Troubles, she would probably have joined the IRA. In fact, she grew up in the middle class uh, suburb of Dublin and went to college and uh, emerged with a degree and is now the, you know, a, fair, a, a, a civilian leader, to use some of the, 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 the term that's <laughs> used uh, in, in politics here, uh, with 
with no um, background of uh, militant Republican uh, involvement. Absolutely right. It's really good to speak to you there. Stephen O'Brien, political editor of the Sunday Times, Ireland. So, yeah, let's um, now turn to that interview with Mary Lou McDonald. I spoke to her earlier this morning. We talked about the chances of United Ireland, the legacy of her party, and getting a Get Well Soon card from Prince Charles. But first of all, I began by asking how much impact the latest round of Brexit drama was having on politics in the Republic of Ireland. Well, I suppose Brexit is a game changer, um, not just for Britain, but for Ireland and for the rest of Europe, too. I mean, I think it's fair to say that it represents uh, a massive disruption economically and politically. Um, I would have to say that as a a longstanding critic of the direction of the European Union, I understand uh, all of the, the difficulties and challenges ahead in the European project and how in many respects it's lost its way. But uh, I'm also clear that a Tory Brexit is not the answer to any of the the dilemmas and problems that Europe uh, faces. And we're caught in Ireland in a very particular way in the slipstream of Brexit. Firstly, due to geographic proximity where you're next door neighbours. We've ties of history and friendship and kinship and trade. And, of course, we have the matter of the ongoing partition of our island since the 1920s and the fact that Britain still has a hand in six, the six northeastern counties of the island. So the, the partition of the country, is, as we all know, sadly led to decades, generations of strife and conflict and a lot of suffering on our island and, and indeed on yours. But we we count ourselves very lucky to live in a generation and a time where we've established a very robust framework for peace and stability and for ultimately the the ending of the partition of Ireland, I hope, uh, democratically and peacefully through the Good Friday Agreement and Brexit in a very particular way disrupts and threatens all of that. Um, Firstly, because... It it brings forward the prospect of what we call a hardening of the border on the island. You know, trade and life has been seamless across the island now for decades in times of peace. We want that to continue. Any notion of customs or tariffs or, you know, posts on the on the border would, would threaten that. And of course, the the foundations of the Good Friday Agreement are very much built on the notion that both Ireland and Britain were members of the European Union, signed up to common accords uh, and standards, uh, not least uh, standards of citizenship and, and human rights. And, of course, the Good Friday Agreement itself reflects that the executive in Belfast can only pass legislation that is in accordance with European law. So that's how profoundly the European system of governance uh, actually informed the Good Friday Agreement. So with Brexit, and particularly if it's the prospect of a hard Brexit, a no-deal Brexit, all of that uh, is put in the balance. Uh, And then to add to matters, recently we have Boris Johnson and the Tory government attempting to renege on the withdrawal agreement and the protocol for Ireland, which capture the most basic protections that our island needs to avoid damage to the Good Friday Agreement and that hardening of the border that I referred to.
Okay, let's let's stick with that. The, the the government's admission that it was going to break international law. The internal market bills back in the House of Commons today. Uh, what, what was the what was Sinn Fein told uh, either by either to you directly or uh, your colleagues in Northern Ireland about what the government was doing? Uh, uh, and when did you find out that the government was planning to to break international law? Well, we found out, I think, like the the rest of the world on the Sunday evening when the story was broken. Um, And uh, I have to say to you that what we have been told directly by the British government, and that was through a meeting of the Northern Secretary (coughs) and my colleague in Belfast, the Sinn Féin, Uh, Vice President uh, Michelle O'Neill, the steer that we got from the Northern Secretary was entirely erroneous, uh, in fact misleading, I would say. Um, On the eve of standing up in the House of Commons and saying out loud and very clearly and without a blush that they were intent on breaching international law, uh, on the eve of that he had, in fact, been telling my colleague uh, and others that they had no intention of breaking international law. Um, I have to say also that despite my effort to speak to Boris Johnson, <clears throat> I have not thus far been successful. Um, so he does not seem interested in having a, conversations with parties <clears throat> and with those who will be most directly affected Uh, by this very, very reckless course of action. Now, on one level, you might not be surprised because those that are prepared with their eyes wide open and quite brazenly to announce to the world that they will breach international law, we can safely assume aren't terribly concerned about the courtesies, niceties or necessity of uh, political dialogue. If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times Radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app, or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. And in terms of um, how this is playing out in the Republic of Ireland, I mean, to some extent, you want to see 
uh, a united Ireland. Uh, this sort of turmoil and chaos and, and ultimately lots of people in Northern Ireland who perhaps have never considered uh, supporting a unified Ireland might start to think, well, actually, you know, like you were saying, the, the, the smooth uh, life across the border is, is far more important than anything with the uh, UK. So to some extent, isn't all of this furthering your, you know, you, you must welcome this chaos, really, as leader of Sinn Féin, you want United Ireland. The more people who start to think, well, actually, United Ireland might not be such a bad idea after all, that's all good for you, isn't it? Well, I don't welcome chaos at all. I live here on this island with my family. I have teenage children. Um, I want them to live in a society and a world where they have opportunities and where there is stability and an air of positivity and decency. Um, I don't think anybody living on our island, irrespective of their political stripe or their views on the constitutional question, wants the kind of Tory chaos that Boris Johnson has in mind. Yes, I want a united Ireland. It's the best thing for our island. Uh, it's the way in which we, we finally heal the divisions of the past. I would suggest also that uh, thinking people living in Britain um, would recognise also that a united Ireland is your best bet to have a really, really positive, uh, sustainable relationship with your next door uh, neighbours. But uh, I want it to happen uh, or in an orderly, thoughtful um, and non-chaotic fashion. <laughs> I don't welcome the, the prospect for anybody that their job or their livelihood or their business is in jeopardy. I don't welcome the fact that uh, citizens will lose uh, a number of really important uh, European privileges. Uh, and I've spoken earlier about my critique of the European Union. Let me set out the good things about it. Uh, the ability to live, to work, to study um, right across the continent. Uh, access to, to the array of rights as a citizen that it affords people. Um, you know, being part of a project that is you know, international and supports diversity and that is all about living in an open world and not a closed one, embracing the world rather than retreating into splendid isolation. All of those things, I think, are good things for us as, as ordinary working people. And I know for, for lots of our citizens living in the, in the north of Ireland, including those that are British and that, that might, you know, value the union with Britain, the prospect of being outside the European Union is really a very, very, um, a very frightening one. And they, they resent correctly. We all resent the fact that the north of Ireland is being taken out of the European Union against the express democratic wishes of a clear majority. Uh, so I think for lots of those people, um, the way to get back to the European Union and to reclaim your rights as a European citizen is through a united Ireland, because as you know, uh, we have a, a declaration from the European, which the European Union is stating that as and when Ireland is reunited, the north of Ireland, the six counties, will automatically re-enter the European Union and the, all, all of those rights will be restored. So yes, I think that is a, a game changer for lots of people who may not have considered Irish unity and that that would be a game changer in their analysis and their assessment. Um, but I don't think that the notion of chaos and disruption and all of the uncertainty that Boris Johnson is intent on, that's not good for anyone. And I don't welcome that. As a matter of fact, I resent it.
to some extent, the the uh, the passage of time has helped with this as well, isn't it? The, the Sinn Féin um, is now, you know, you won the the popular vote uh, early in the election earlier this year. Obviously, the you know the three other parties formed formed the coalition. Sinn Féin definitely seems to be on the march. Do you think that the the passage of time means that people uh, ac- across the whole of the island of Ireland have forgiven uh, Sinn Féin in its connections with the IRA or forgotten them or what do you think is it just a a, a simple factor of of time or what have you been doing to try try and reassure people who not that long ago would have had nothing to do with your party? Well I I suppose the passage of time frames and reframes everything um, and and people's perspectives contemporary and historic Um, you know, there's lots of people on the island and our country as a whole that still reflects on our experiences of colonisation, oppression, famine, mass emigration, um, uh, you know, all of the things that happened in more distant history and more recent history, but can manage to reconcile ourselves to accepting that uh, British people are essentially decent um, and can accept the fact that, that we all need to move on and storing a deep resentment for for Britain, for England in particular, um, might not be the most pr- productive of things. I make that point to you because if, if your analysis is that the, the conflict in Ireland was caused by Republicans or Sinn Féin, then I'd have to ask you to get back to your history books for a while. Um, the, the story has been one of great pain and division. And of course, uh, when the conflict was at its height in in the course of my childhood, um, people struggled with that very, very deeply. There there are Irish people who would never reconcile themselves to the actions uh, of the IRA. um, And that is a view that a section of our people hold very deeply. And of course, I understand why that is the case. War and conflict is hard. Suffering is hard. and yes, I think as we have moved into a time of peace and I as the leader of Sinn Féin in a, in a time of peace, uh, of course, that, that changes the, the entire political context. But it changes it for all of us, for nationalism and republicanism, for loyalism, for the British state. And I think the real challenge for all concerned is to embrace that and grasp that positivity uh, and not to play cynical, very, very cynical games. I'm, by the way, very proud to be an Irish Republican and of our Republican history, not, you know, over centuries. Um, I stand by our right to self-determination and freedom, but I'm heartbroken like any, like everyone else um, that that pathway has been continuously um, continuously challenged by uh, by Britain in a way that has been less than constructive, very destructive at times in our history, and that as a result of that, a lot of people suffered, you know. And and I hope now, as the the president of Sinn Féin, that we are going to live through times where um, Britain and the occupant of number 10 Downing Street will actually be an honest broker um, in assisting Ireland uh, to finish the journey, which, which will lead to a border poll, I believe, um, I, I want us to win that border poll. I, I think we can do it constructively uh, and in an air of mutual respect and positivity. And what sort of timescale do you think for that? Well, I, I would, I would hope. I, I, I want us to to, to have it uh, as soon as is possible, and by that I mean 
when we have all the necessary preparation work done. Uh, we, we need to talk about a whole range of things across the island, our, not least our public services and the delivery of things like health services and education and so on. We need to have a conversation around models of governance um, and, you know, the kind of social contract between the people and those systems of governance. Very deep conversations need to happen. And I've encouraged the government here in Dublin to begin that preparatory work now. Uh, There is no cause or reason for delay. In fact, I think, you know, keeping one's head buried in the sand on this question at this time is actually a very, very dangerous thing to do. So uh, that preparation needs to start. And then I I believe within the next five years, perhaps, but certainly within the next decade, we are looking at a referendum in Ireland and we are looking at constitutional change and the reunification of our island, uh, which is a good news story and a positive story, and which, of course, is a process that will have to be managed very carefully politically and diplomatically. And I can only hope that the, that this government uh, will come to its senses and that, uh, success, you know, subsequent governments will make a decision to act constructively and with goodwill as regards the Irish question. Uh, just finally, before I let you go, uh, we need to talk about coronavirus uh, and, you, you know, the, the restrictions are tightening uh, in the UK as they are in Ireland as well. But you, you had quite a bad case of it yourself, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, all all of these things, I suppose, are relative. I, I wasn't hospitalised. I managed to isolate and, and fight off the virus at home with the guidance. It should be said by telephone of my GP, to whom I am eternally grateful. But yes, I had the virus. A very, very nasty experience. It is a really awful disease. Um, and uh, I know that right across the world now, People are struggling with the fact that we're going to have to live with this virus for some time. And, you know, big asks are being made of us in terms of restrictions. I'm conscious of families that have been bereaved in this most awful of periods. People who have lost work and who are families who are really going to struggle now through the autumn and into the winter up towards Christmas. And I, I can just... Uh, urge people um, to do everything that they can to keep themselves and their families safe. This is this is an awful virus. I I can only urge science on to find that vaccine. <laughs> Not course, least yeah. the group that's working in Oxford. I, I wish them I wish them Godspeed and and great success. And then to governments everywhere, our own government in uh, here in Ireland and the government in London to support working people and to support communities. Don't. Don't make big asks of society, um, impose huge restrictions, cost people their livelihoods and then leave them uh, on their own to muddle through. That would be grossly, grossly unjust. And you, you had a, when you were ill, you had um, several people got in touch to wish you well, including Prince Charles. That's, that's, that, yes. that, that goes to show just how far we've travelled, that Prince Charles, the heir oh, to the throne, can contact I, the leader of Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin, absolutely, and I was I was just so touched by that. That was such a, a thoroughly decent um, and nice uh, piece of correspondence to get. And can I thank him publicly? <laughs> um, I'm sure he's listening. He's through, always listening to your, Times Radio, of course. Um, yes, of course, through the offices of Times uh, Radio to thank uh, to, to thank him most sincerely for for that correspondence. Um, and you're right; that is how far we've come. 
in terms of you know, building good relationships between our respective nations and our two islands. And and I think it's so important. And that's the kind of sentiment and, if dare I say, the kind of decency that we need, that we need to build on. Um, So, yes, I I got a letter from, from Charles and I was very, very pleased to hear from him. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, You can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, from me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.